Welcome to Ipso Facto with comedian, actor, and star of HBO's Arliss, Robert Wall. Here we'll talk with people on a variety of subjects, everything from sports to movies to pop culture to food, politics, you name it. This is Ipso Facto with Robert Wall. Hello and welcome once again to Ipso Facto. That's the Uh, I am your host, Robert Wall, and I am honored today to have a friend come on. Uh, We've been talking about it for a while now. Made the time to come out here. Uh, Byron Scott. Byron, of course, uh, NBA Coach of the Year. Uh, How many times? How many Lakers? How many rings you got? Five? Three. Three rings. uh, And a real gentleman and a good guy. And and anyway, but the first thing I was going to ask you, I was looking through all this stuff, and I thought, how lives change. How Mm -hmm. some incident, how one incident and... My life is totally different. Mm-hmm. You're drafted number four mm-hmm. by the San Diego Clippers. Yeah, yeah. How then you get traded to the Los Angeles Lakers for Norm Nixon? Right. How much time was there? Did you know you were going to the Lakers, or you were known you were drafted by the Clippers? No, I knew I was drafted by the Clippers. I, I had no idea uh, that that Laker deal was going to even happen. Uh, I was with the Clippers for probably a couple of uh, well, a couple of months. I mean, I was drafted in June. Uh, the trade happened in October. You know, so all that time I, I didn't sign. Starts? Yeah, I didn't sign with the Clippers. Oh, you know, we didn't. couldn't we couldn't reach an agreement. So, oh, so I was one of the out. I was one of the few free agent you know slash rookies that hadn't signed uh, that was drafted in the first round. Uh, you know, and and was one of the top ten picks. So. Uh, just holding out, not really necessarily holding out, just trying to get what I thought was fair compensation. Right. And couldn't come to an agreement. So I didn't go to training camp. And preseason was going on. And, you know, I was going out to work out one day. And my, my mom said, the phone uh, is for me. I walked back in the house and it was Jerry West. Did you even have an agent? Yeah. Who was yeah. your agent? A guy named Brian. Well, at, at that time, um, a guy named Ben McDonald. Ben McDonald. So Ben's doing this, trying to negotiate. Does he know anything's going down about the Lakers at all? Does he hear rumors? Does he does he tell you you know there, if you hold out there might be something? I mean, was he or was this just is this happenstance? It, it just kind of happened. I think I don't even think he really knew what was going on. You know, he he called me after I talked to Jerry West, and that's when he had got wind of it. Uh, and at that time, Jerry West had called me. It was early in the morning. Uh, and told me if the deal wasn't done, there was a deal that they were trying to make for a few weeks, and if it wasn't done today by 2 o'clock, that it wasn't going to be done. You know, so of course, the whole day I'm nervous. You, know, you didn't call I, anybody? Did you call I anybody? Didn't call anybody. Say, I, I didn't call anybody. I just told my mom, who was the only person home, so it was just me and her. And of course, I didn't go work out because I wanted to stay by the phone. And at 2 o'clock came, he didn't call. 2.30 came, he didn't call. So I told my mom, I'm still a clipper. <laughs> you know, I'm going to go out now and work out. And and she was so um, uh, so positive. You know, the whole time I just remember cleaning the house, just talking about, no, nah, he'll call back. Don't worry. You know, and I'm like, no, nah, he said 2 o'clock. It's 3 o'clock now. And sure enough, when I walked out the door, you know, the phone rang. I ran back in and picked it up. And it was Jerry West. He said, congratulations, young man. You are now Los Angeles Lakers. But I'm not signing there either. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> now, I'm holding out, right? You, wait, how long did it take you to feel, do this contract now afterwards? Two days. Two days. Did you pretty much get the, more, everything the that you wanted? exact same thing that I asked from the Clippers. And they just said yes, and we'll just get move on. Yeah, it was bright. See, it that's was, the difference. That's that's. A, it's like, I'm not going to nickel and dime this bullshit. Right. Pay the guy, let's move on. I just traded for him. Let's get, him, get it out of the way, move on. Yeah, two days, and I was that, in the locker room. And, I mean, think about Jerry West... Doesn't do that. It's like, 
how your career changes. Yeah, you, know? you don't you don't have a clue where you'd be right now. I you mean, know? yeah. I uh, mean, think how much harder it would have been to get a first coaching gig. Oh, I mean, think. Let's you know, you're the Clippers. You're probably losing every yeah, year. Yeah, you don't win a championship. Like, yeah, you know? and you don't, not, yeah, okay. And you're not a part of something else. Nineteen. I move out in '79 to Los Angeles from from uh, New York, mm-hmm. East Coast. So I'm right at the beginning and uh, of what came down here. And as a sports fan. Uh, I always often say, you know, there's certain certain sports activities I would have liked to have been at. Do you know that for what I wasn't born or whatever? Mm-hmm. The one I've always wanted to have been at was I, w- I would love to have been t- gone to a game to see the old Brooklyn Dodgers in Wrigley Field mm. with those crazy fans they mm. had and the cowbells and the band marching around and everything. Not to mention the social insignificance. Right, right. I would have liked to have been part of that, but I was part of Showtime. Mm-hmm. I went to Showtime and. <laughs> Like I hear uh, people say, uh, you know, there was nothing like Brooklyn Dodger fans. In my life, there was nothing like Showtime. Showtime. First, it was just. First of all, the forum is intimate. You're it right. was small. Right. Right. You were right on top of the court, which is you know like like Wrigley Field, like Wrigley Field, like you know when your fans are right on the court on top of you. There's an effect there. Right. It was intimate, and we were talking about it. it's Los Angeles. It was Hollywood. It was glitzy. It's glamour, but it was the real deal. That's it's not. There was no f- facade. Right. It was real right. deal. These right. guys, uh, you come there, and who, who's on the team when you come in? Oh wow, uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Magic Johnson, James Worthy, Jamal Wilkes, <laughs> Kirk Rampus, Mitch Kupchak, uh, Michael Cooper. My God. Uh, <laughs> I think that's, that's enough, <laughs> right there, Swin Nader. And, and, yeah. and you're walking there, and you're doing your job. Bob McAdoo. As I said, I mentioned McAdoo yeah. earlier. Uh, you know, what is it like, you know, walking in, and you're the rookie. Right. And now you are from the area. That You're right. a local right. kid, so right. you have the respect. I mean, you know what's going on right. here. You're walking into this. And then the coach is? Pat Riley. Okay, so now you're a new guy on the team. Right. You got your head down. Tell me one line to describe uh, what a great team. I'm talking about, you know, first, you talk about one line you, about all those people you just said. Mm-hmm. For, first of all, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Mm-hmm. I, I had a, got into a fight with Jerry Reinsdorf, the owner of the Bulls and the, uh, the, Bulls and, and the White Sox. I had dinner with him two weeks ago. And I, he, he, I said to him, you know, when you think of everything put together, all, entire career, mm-hmm. high school, college, Hmm. And he goes, you know the greatest basketball player was? And, I, and he said, you mean the second greatest player? I go, no, the greatest. I said, it's Kareem. Absolutely. It's Kareem. Because, I mean, when you think about what he's 75 high school games in a row, doesn't wins three, three straight NCAA championships, and the one year when he couldn't play, he was a freshman, the freshman team played the varsity team for a warm-up game, which was the defending national champions, yeah, and, beat him. and Kareem scores 40 right. and beat him. Right. And he's got six titles. Right. And he's really interesting. <laughs> the, uh, uh, what, what's, you know, and he's not an easy guy to know, but what was that like, you know, walking there with Kareem? Well, like you said, the first, you know, first six, seven months, you know, he, he didn't really speak a whole hell of a lot to me. You know, I was a rookie. You know, he was in his 15th or 16th year at that time. You know, so, you know, when you walk in that locker room as a rookie and you see these guys, the first thing, you, you, you're a little bit in awe. Uh, you know, Kareem is one of the greatest players, you know, at that time, you know, and like you said to me, he's the greatest player that, that's ever lived. Then you see Magic Johnson right across from him, who is one of the most unique players at that time because he's a 6'9 point guard who sees the floor better than anybody in the league. 
and he can dominate the game in a number of ways. And then you see Michael Cooper over there who is Spider-Man. You know, he's just glue he just like glue when he's guarding you. And then I see James Worthy who was who was in my same class era. And then you look at Jamal Wilkes and you look at Bob McAdoo. And Bob McAdoo at that time was my hero. I wore number eleven from the time I was in elementary until I got to the pros because of Bob McAdoo. You know, so I walk in here and I see all these legends and guys that I have so much respect for uh, that I had to remember what I was there for, you know, which is to play basketball with them, not to admire them. You know, so it, it, it took a little while to kind of get used to that. Uh, but real quickly, you know, I found out why those guys were champions too. You know, that first week of practice, the intense that, you know, the intensity that they practiced with, uh, the passion that they played the game with uh, just made me realize why they won and, and won so often, why they were all so good in high school, junior, in, in, in college and in the pros is because they loved the game and they loved competition. And it, it was so obvious to see the first few weeks of practice. Network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Ipso Facto with Robert Wool. Talking here with Byron Scott on Ipso Facto with Robert Wall. Who uh, who was a guy, I'm sure there was more than one or maybe not, who, who took you a little bit under the wing? Who was a guy who either vet, you know, who was the vet who mm-hmm. told you how to be, you know, who at least knew you were around. Uh, he might have led by example, which a lot of them do, but I'm saying, who was the guy who was helped you when you're first starting out that first year, you know, looked out for the rookie, you know, who was, who was that guy? Well, it was Magic and Coop. That doesn't hurt to have those two guys. guys. And, and it took a little while. I mean, they really had to kind of accept me, and, and I really had to kind of, you know, uh, pass uh, all the little tests that they gave me. And, and once I did... Uh, they accepted me as you know one of their equals and one of their teammates, and and when when they did that, that's when they started to teach me and take me under their wing and and tell me the little ins and outs of the NBA, and also not not just on the court but off the court as well. So uh, those two guys, I mean, if you look years later, we were like the three amigos. We did dinner together. We went on when we were on the road. We went to the movies. Uh, we really hung out and, and really loved each other like brothers, and it's a, it was a very unique you know, friendship, and, and it still is to this day. You know, I, I still see Magic at the gym. You know, we still talk. I've seen him at the gym lately. He what? comes at about 6 in the morning, so unless you get there, no, I normally no. get there about 7, 7.30 no, no, when he's I'm about leaving. No, 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 no. No, <laughs> no I, won't, I won't be seeing Magic for a while. <laughs> if you just want to see him one of those days, come at about 7 oh, o'clock man. in the morning, and you'll, you'll, you'll get a chance to see him. But, you know, so I see him often. You know, uh, Coop I don't see as often, but, you know, we, we when we see each other, it's like, we haven't missed a beat. Something you mentioned that I don't think most people realize, too. Not only when you're a first-round draft choice and you're the star rookie, and but you're the rookie who's coming to a new team, right? Mm-hmm. It's not that just that you know they have to accept you. It's not just that you're the rookie because you're the new kid. You're there to take somebody's job, right? See that's right. you know that's you got to put it down that. So right. if you you have to be accepted in the ways that if you're going to take my job, 
we are going to win. Right. You know, it's like right. we are going to win. You're not taking my job because you're scoring more. Right. Because you help this team win. Right. That's the mindset. Okay. And, and it's the key because, like you said, when you when you come on that scene, you know they're looking at you like that. And first of all, you're looking at grown men. You know, when you come in, you're you're a very young man at the time. Right. right. And you and you're playing against grown men, and right. they and they take that personal when you're trying to take something that's theirs. Exactly. You know, so when you walk in that gym and, and you put on those sneakers and and you step on the court. Uh, it's no longer fun and games. It's it's all about business. It's all about what you can bring to the table. And then at the end of the day, it's all about can you help us win? Can you make us a better basketball team? Right. Uh, now, I want to I want to fast forward the career here. In the as far as coaching, because mm-hmm. I think this is a very misunderstood and I, I'm only mysterious thing what a coach does in the NBA. And because here in the last thirty seven years, here's an amazing statistic. In the last 37 years, if you didn't play with Michael, Akeem, <laughs> Tim Duncan, Kobe, Shaq, LeBron, Bird, or Magic, you've only won like four, four, four titles out of 37 years, mm-hmm. which means these guys, these are the cream of the cream. These are the special, right. beyond special players. Right, these right. are the best of the best of the best of the best. As a coach, you get the job at the Cleveland You've got one of these guys for two days, whatever it is, three not, days? Not even that. Two days. Okay. I don't even have him, to be honest, because he, he was, well, like you said. Okay, yeah. I did have him, I guess, for two days, right. so to speak. Okay, you're the coach. Hard to deal with this. You, you know that if he stays, you got a chance to win. Right. In the finals last year, you got a chance to win. Right. If he leaves, it's going to be a bad team. Right. What emotionally is, going, is, what is that like? Well, to be honest with you, for me, when I took that job, I felt it was a win-win situation for me. Because if he stays, like you said, we got a chance to win a championship. You got one of the best players on the planet playing for you. You can almost surround him with, you know, just so-so players, and you're still going to win. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know. he took, went to the finals right, with the four before. guys named Mel. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and if he leaves, you're going to give me a chance to rebuild. You know, put the program back together. And that's kind of how I was thinking. And it was kind of, you know. Boy, were you my, an optimist. My, my, yeah, I was very optimistic. <laughs> and so when but he you left. Gotta remember, let me back up for something else, too. Something else to remember, everybody out there. There's only about 30 of those jobs in America. Right, right. I mean, that's right. it. So when somebody offers you something, it's just not, oh, I'm going to sit, I'm, I'm, gonna th- I'm not going to wait for the next one. Right. Wait for a good opportunity to come up. Right. At the moment, you still got LeBron. At the moment. At the moment. At okay. the moment, yeah. And and when you when, when he decides to leave, then you know, okay, well, it's gonna be rough these next three or four years. We gotta start over, we gotta make wise choices in our draft picks and obviously wise choices with free agency. Uh and then you gotta get lucky. You know, and unfortunately, uh we didn't get lucky, you know, with him staying. Uh we did we did have a heck of a draft, you know, with Kyrie Irving and, and, and uh, Tristan Thompson. Uh, but, you know, after three years, they decide to go a different direction. Then he comes back. So my timing was just <laughs> off, Rob. You know what I mean? Had you my not been wearing deodorant or something off, like man. that? I mean, it's like <laughs> he comes back. Now, okay, so which gets me to my next point about coaching <laughs> is that I, I would think, I've always believed, uh, I mean, there's talent in everything. Mm-hmm. But in, in basketball more than any other sport, because of what I just said with those names, if you don't have one of those guys, you're probably not winning. You're more the odds are way against you. Okay, so you know when you don't when you don't have one of those guys, I want to break down. Okay, 
what the coach has to do. Okay, you don't have one. When you, when you got one of those guys, it's just you got the talent. You ain't got to do much when you got one. Well, of them. here's my point. You got to do. A, you don't have to do. Let's put it this way: you don't have to do as much, not nearly exactly, as much. Exactly. My when point, you got one of those guys, when I hear this stuff, your your your. Steve Kirk comes out of the booth. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he comes. I've never coached a game in his life. He goes to all this talent. It's it, it's it, you know in Golden State, and they win, which right. you can't take away from him. You right, win. Right. The first twenty games of last year, he misses. He's not there. A guy who never coached a game in his life. <laughs> they still win. Take over. They win the first twenty games in a row. Okay. Now suddenly, is it, did he have the the magic? It's like give me talent. I haven't seen Spoltrus, you know, Eric Spoltrus winning since since LeBron left. <laughs> you know, you don't have the talent. You're not winning. It's you know, you can make a good show. You can play tight, but you're not going to win. You don't have talent. Um, <laughs> you got to deal with that. So what I want to know is from a craft point of view. You got to prepare for the next game. Absolutely, and 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 see, I think basketball coaches are closer uh, to almost baseball managers than they are to football coaches. Football coaches got sixteen games once a week. That's right, it. right. You got to play eighty-two games. You're traveling with a team mm-hmm. over and over, just like a baseball team mm-hmm. travels. Mm-hmm. So you know, you have to. Hopefully, you know the term is coach, but a manager is also. The same. No, you have to manage this team when you go through winning streaks, losing streaks. Very good a guy, point. Guy, you know, you have to keep everybody on an even keel. That's why they call a manager. They don't call baseball mm-hmm. guys coaches. They mm-hmm. have a little coach, but it's a manager, the uh, game manager also. But you have to manage the guys who aren't getting along. The guy who's fooling around with somebody else's wife. You got a guy who's playing for a contract. Another guy's trying to take this guy's contract. I mean, and you've got to do. You have to keep everything in, going in the same direction. Right. That's very difficult with a team that doesn't have talent. <laughs> okay, now it's almost impossible. It is impossible. <laughs> you're playing the game out, and you're a professional, and you're doing your job. Right. So, how much game film do you watch of uh, preparing for another team between games? Uh, very little. Really? Yeah, because you have to prepare for that team, and then you got another one to prefer. You can't spend a whole lot of time on just one team. You, you like you said, you got 82 games. You know, so the time you can spend on a, on a lot of film work is when you're in the playoffs because now uh-huh. you're, you're really concentrating on okay. one team. That makes sense. You can really break it down on sense. a whole nother level. But in the regular season, you got to play Tuesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. So mm-hmm. you got three games or four nights. You can't spend a ton of time watching film. You can spend a little time of watching film on the offensive end and the defensive end. And really all I want to know is the four or five plays that they run the most. Right. I want to know what they do in the last two minutes of the game, what plays they run the most in the last two minutes. And I want to know some of their out-of-bound plays. You know, and I want to know what they run if it's the last three or four seconds in the game. And with most of those teams, you can tell if we're playing Dallas and they got Dirk, it's coming to Dirk. You, you know that. You just want to know when it's coming and how they're going to get it to him, so you can figure out a way to you know where we're going to double team him uh, to try to get the ball out of his hands. So I don't watch a whole lot of uh, film during the regular season as far as the team that we're getting ready for. I watch enough to make sure I understand what they do on both ends of the court. So I want to attack the weaknesses. But you really get a chance to really hone in on a team when it's the playoffs. That makes sense. Yeah, because you're playing. You're playing the same because you're going to play them right. four out of seven Baseball games or whatever. And, a series of three at right, a time. So I can really, really start, you know, really nitpicking on little things that right. I want to really try to take away. Do the players ever watch film? Absolutely. Okay, I thought. Well, they watch it with us. Yeah. Okay. You know, because I, I, I mean, I'm, a, I'm the type of coach that you know I'm gonna watch the film on my own. My coaches are going to watch it, so when we meet, you know, we can break it down, you okay. know, as, as the four of us get together. Uh, then we bring it to the players, so they're going to watch it before, you know, before a game. They're going to watch it in the morning. They're going to watch it 
two or three hours before we play. Uh, and then they're going to probably watch a little bit of it uh, on their own, you would hope, you know, because they got certain guys that they got to guard. So we do an individual breakdown, you know, for our guards and our bigs on who they're going to be guarding. Then we bring our guys all together and watch a team video. Then we'll go out and practice and we'll come back that night and we'll watch it again. And we'll add a couple of clips to it just so, you know, it doesn't get to be something that's very boring for them. You know, I want them to make sure that, yeah, you got to keep them stimulated a little bit. So um, we we try to watch a lot of film, especially when you got a young team. You know, Robert, when you got a young team, you you, you could only teach them in a few ways. You got to teach them, you know, visually by being on the court and going through it. And then you got to, you know, they got to see it in the film room. uh, And then they got to do it. You got to put them through it on the floor, and they got to learn to become professionals. I mean, you know, well, that's, living, that's part of the job. I mean, learning exactly on the road. You know, especially right. when you, if you, especially if you don't have any veteran leadership, then you're really right. asking for trouble. Right. The, right. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's people don't take that in consideration. <laughs> What's this? Um, and and they're by themselves a lot, a lot. They have a lot of time on their well, hands. Which brought me to a question I once asked. I <laughs> once asked. I think it was. Uh, uh, oh, oh, Don, not Don Nelson, uh, Chuck Daly. Mm-hmm. I asked Chuck Daly. The late great. Yeah. Oh, I asked Chuck Daly one time. We were we were having a few together, and I said, Chuck, what percentage of the uh, NBA players smoke weed? And he said, <laughs> everybody but Keith Van Horn. <laughs> <laughs> Keith Van Horn being the Brigham Young Utah being the Mormon. Uh, yeah, right. Exactly. Okay. He's a, so, and I said, absolutely, they can't go anywhere. They got to stay, stay in the rooms and everything. Yeah. I mean, I, I just you know, that's just part of it. And you know, who I would think, absolutely. Well, I, you know what? They used to stay in the room. I mean, yeah. now uh, seems like I mean, you, you could turn on social media and you see somebody in the NBA or NFL out doing this and doing that. Uh, they, they seem to be more outgoing, maybe that's the word for it nowadays, than they were back in our days. Or maybe it's just the fact that we didn't have cell phones with cameras on it and it's all true. that that's, stuff. So That's a different story. Um, you know, I know we went out on the road. We went out to dinner, myself, yeah. Magic, and Coop. You know, we would find a, a, a nice restaurant when we would go into town. If we didn't go to dinner, we went to movies, or we did both. You know, just so we can keep ourselves occupied, and plus the fact that we just love being around each other. Okay. I'm going to go, I'm going to name a city. I'm gonna, you know where I'm going with this one. Okay. I'm going to name a city. You name the restaurant that you go to. Oh, wow. Okay. okay. Now, you you got to remember now, you know, Robert, we haven't done this. Okay. Me, Magic, Kansas and Kool, we, team, we haven't right? done this in a long, long Kansas time. So let's city. see. Until 85. Yeah. Until 85. Okay. Oh, do you remember any restaurants in Kansas City? No. Oh, no. Barbecue. Gates Barbecue. <laughs> but I, I, I do remember barbecue in Kansas <laughs> barbecue, City. Barbecue. Not any restaurants. Okay. New York. There's more in New York. Yeah, there's so many in New York. Uh, I don't know where we went in New York. Went to a bunch of you know a bunch of different restaurants in New York. Okay, but none that just like stuck out in uh-huh. my mind. Uh-huh. Uh, we would just pick one. I had friends in New York. Magic had friends in New York. Sometimes we would just okay. meet with them. Okay, so far this is not a good run. No, this, this is probably not going to be good. I'm going to move on to something else. Yeah. <laughs> We're going to stay hungry. This is probably not going to be good. Yeah, that's 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 that's, that's the end of that. Um, what? So you got to do all this. What do you do? With players, first of all, who's the best player you ever coached? Best player I ever coached? Wow. Uh, Chris Paul. Chris Paul. Love Chris Paul. I, I love him on the court as well as off the court. Uh, unbelievable competitor. Uh, intensity on the court is second to none and wants to win as bad as anybody I've seen. I, I mean, that's, you know, that, that, little six foot frame of his you know it takes a beating but this this kid is about as tough as they come 
and easy to coach too. That that was the thing. I mean, you don't find a lot of superstars uh, are on that level like Chris that are easy to coach. A lot of them are difficult, you know, because they they feel in their mind they know how to do it, you know, and know how the game should be played and things like that. But this kid was easy to coach. Okay. Let's bring up Jason Kidd then. That, that kind of goes into that. Jason Kidd is, I, I asked you your favorite player to coach. Well, I said the best player to coach. So, uh, so because here's a good example. You don't have to love a player. Right. You know, for right. the talent to be there. Right. Uh, so, with, with Jason Kidd, you're the, the, the highs and lows. I mean, what, what do you, what was, I mean, his highs are very high. Mm-hmm. You know, what were his big strengths? I think his biggest strengths were his leadership. Uh, I think his competitive nature, his intensity on the basketball court, were probably his biggest strengths. Okay, so, this, so that's mental. That's mostly yeah. mental. So it's, it's more. So you're saying that Chris has much more skills. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Because I, when you know, I was doing the Arliss show many years ago, and I had all these athletes on. Yeah, I, I remember. Talk, I would talk. You know. Yeah, I remember. Yeah. Uh, so, and the thing I learned about talking with the athletes was when it gets to the pro level. Mm-hmm. With very, very, very rare exceptions, and there are exceptions, the skills differentials, like I said, with rare exceptions, is about uh, between your yeah, thumb and your big. forefinger away. Right, I right. Mean, very, what makes the difference is their mental approach to the game. Absolutely. I mean, who is mentally tougher? Because so what I'm hearing is Chris, Jason Kidd was mentally tough. Very. Yeah. Very. I mean, he, he, was, a, he was a game changer. You know, but like I said, you know, Chris, you know, from a talent standpoint. Right. If you needed him to score 30, he can get you 30. You know, that wasn't the type of player Jason Kidd was. You know, Jason was a guy uh, that's going to lead the team. He's going to get you 9, 10 rebounds. He's going to get you 12, 15 assists. He might score 15 points or something like that. But if you ask him to go out and score 30, that would be very difficult for him to do. Right, Jason. He's not just right. thinking about the shot. Right, exactly. Yeah. But yeah. you ask Chris Paul that we need you tonight to score 30. Uh-huh. He can get you 30. Okay. And that was the difference. But from a mental standpoint, Jason Kidd was about as tough as they come. Well, here's something interesting to me as you're talking about Chris. And and it goes back into what I was talking about with those guys there. Is that, you know, Chris Paul, like you said, this is a, you know, all-star player. Right. But he's not one of those guys on the list. He's not one of those guys we talk about who's one of, you know, if you didn't play with, you know. And you never had one of those to coach at all. You didn't have no. one of those guys. No. It's like, if you don't have, I mean, I look at, you know, guys like, uh, uh, who was the great guard who was once, uh, Lenny Wilkins. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you don't have one of these guys, I mean, again, when, with the Phil Jackson thing, you know, he's got 10 rings. Well, okay, yeah. <laughs> and there's something, that you, you can't take any of them away. Right. But he did have Michael Jordan, Shaq, and Kobe. Scotty and, Pippen, too. Scotty Pippen, I mean, Kerr. Yeah. I mean, he's, yeah. these are you know, now other guys could have said, "Listen, we couldn't have done any worse." But people right. forget he did get swept at series, also. Right. Um, but no, you can't take that away, and you can't take away. But again, if you don't have these guys, I don't care how good you are in X's and O's. <laughs> yeah. Great players make great coaches. Absolutely. It's as simple as that. In any sport. In, in any sport. In any sport. You know, any sport. If you don't have the horses, you're not going to win. I don't care how great you are. Like you said, you can keep the game pretty pretty tight. But in that fourth quarter with five, six minutes to left, if you don't have one of those that can really take over a game and, and carry you to a victory, you're going to be in trouble. Yeah. You're no, gonna you be in still trouble. have one of those guys. Yeah, you, you, need, you need those type of guys. 
Well, because basketball has the fewest amount of players. Right. I mean, so, I mean, as opposed to football, where coaches more important, I think, than any other sport. There's so many more moving parts. Right. right. And if you don't have a quarterback, you're still not yeah, winning. You're in trouble. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. You don't have a quarterback. You Belichick's gotta, a lot better when Brady's there too. No telling. You know, uh, you're not telling. That's for sure. You know, the uh, so, but baseball's got different type, but it, and also baseball's a whole different season. Slow. Right. Like I said, basketball's right. somewhere in between. Uh, but basketball's only got five players. Right. And if you got two of those guys, you're in oh, pretty good. You're, you're in you, real you, good shape. You got magic. You know, Magic Johnson, mental toughness. Uh, you look at, uh, you know, him. But his, yeah, his skill level too was yeah. You know, off See, the he, had, he had everything. Mean, yeah, Magic was another guy. If, if Rouse told Magic to go score thirty every night, he, he could have done it. Yeah. But that just wasn't him. He wanted, you know, he was so he he enjoyed the game so much more when everybody else was playing and having fun and scoring and doing what they did. You know, he had more pleasure in that than him having thirty. But there there were games where we knew we needed him to score, and when he had to score, he was a problem. <laughs> he was a problem. I mean, again, he, he's six nine. Yeah. So most of the guys that they had guarding him was six four, six five, or under, and they they couldn't do nothing with him, especially when he wanted to go in the post. So, if he had to, or if he, if, or if he wanted to, let's put it that way, if yeah. he really wanted to, yeah. he could have dominated on that end of the floor from an offensive standpoint. Did you ever get hit in the face by a pass that you didn't see no, coming? No, because I was always ready. <laughs> <laughs> I saw AC get hit in the head oh, man. by one in practice, and I said, listen, when you're running down the floor, you got to be ready. And AC, his, his comment to me, he was a rookie, he said, I didn't think he saw me. I said, that's when you got to be ready. Because yeah. he sees you, believe me. You might not he, not. he might not be looking at you, but he sees the whole floor. He's that good. Maravich was already out of the game when you. Yes, he yeah, was. I yeah. Was um, Kareem, I mean, to me, he's one of the really interesting figures. I mean, of course, this is my generation. It was Kareem, Jim Brown. I mean, when I had, mm-hmm, I, mm-hmm. Only, I only asked for one autograph the entire time in our house. All the athletes, and that was Jim Brown. And we talked about every, mostly not about football. We talked about everything else because I f- didn't go with women. That's the one place I didn't go with Jim. <laughs> not going there. That's probably smart of not, you. Not going there. But everything else we talked about, and I, because I, my dad loved the Cleveland Browns, and mm-hmm. I knew all the history of Marion mm-hmm. Motley and all this stuff. And, uh, but Brown's fascinating, and Kareem to me is fascinating. Um, I, I just, you know, he's not the most open guy in the world, but you. Take in what he did, you know. When you think, I mean, remember, I remember him graduating with the class at UCLA. You yeah, remember that picture yeah, of him? With yeah. the, and it's like he's he's a different, you know. He comes from, uh, you know, that whole world in New York at that time. I mean, there's a lot, uh, you know. He gave up, you know. Right. I mean, I mean, changing his name at that time. Come on, you know. I mean, it was Ollie and him. Right. Uh, right. You know, he. I find him so interesting in in, in, in the sulliness and his history and his jazz collection. Right. I mean, right. I mean, did you ever get to really know this guy? I felt I did. Yeah. You know, Cap and I uh, became pretty close. I, I sit right next to him for six years. Yeah. He would come to my house uh, after practice, and we would, you know, have breakfast and drive. My, my my ex-wife would drive us to the airport. In the summertime, he would call me there, you know, to uh, have me come over for lunch. You know, so I, I got a chance to know him, and very misunderstood. Uh, and he doesn't want a lot of people to get to know no. him. You know, I mean, you know, and that's his prerogative. Absolutely. And, uh, but I tell you what, when, when when the shield comes down, he's one of the funniest guys you ever meet. He is obviously, and you probably notice, he's an extremely intelligent yes. person. You know, I loves love his history. I mean, very intelligent. And I, I just talked to him about three days ago. I mean, he, he is one of the most interesting guys I've ever been around. Without a doubt. 
on the basketball court and off. Yeah, that and, film and he did about the Harlem Wrens was wonderful. Yeah. We t- I had him on the old radio show. Yeah, unbelievable. Uh, I, just, I just think, and he just happened to have the most devastating weapon in the history of the basketball. The most weapon. unstoppable weapon. I mean, why is it no one does it? You know why what? is it no one, no, nobody does it? From what I've heard, and it, this was a few years ago, uh, you know, the reason all these young guys didn't take up trying to learn the hook shot is because it wasn't a cool shot. You know, okay, it wasn't cool, all right, but it, it got that man 37, 38,000 points, which is the most in NBA history. So, cool or not, it, it was unstoppable and unguardable. And nobody, I mean, everybody went to the kind of jump hook, which is a half sky hook, so to speak. Yeah. But I, I, I was amazed that guys didn't want to learn that because of the fact that it was unstoppable. I mean, if yeah. you did it right, and they should have been calling Kareem. You know, should have been at his every seven footer should have been knocking on his door, uh, you know, trying to ask him to to you know teach me how to shoot that shot. Yeah, I mean it's unbelievable, you know. And I, I watched the skyhook, and it's just it was so pretty. I don't know why it, it wasn't was cool. beautiful. It yeah, was it, it was, was something. I mean, Magic Magic was the one who learned it more than anybody he else. Did. But he went to Kareem and said, "Teach me." Yeah. And once he learned it, you couldn't you couldn't guard him. Like I said, you couldn't guard him in the posts and. You know, he would take big guys off the dribble in the wing and get there, you know, get to his spot in the lane and shoot a sky hook. You know, so, you know, you, you talk about another great learning from the greatest. Yeah. You know, so it shows how, how great Magic was as far as, you know, I want to take my game to a different level, so teach me, you know, how you shoot this sky hook. You know, we, we don't have our young guys uh, doing that anymore. They don't want to learn from the older guys, the older generation, it, for whatever well, reason. That's a whole generation. I was talking to somebody. Yeah, it's a different generation. Was at a party, and uh, we were talking about something, and I said, is it just me, or I'm talking to my niece and nephew and people I know and even older, and this whole idea, if it happened before I was born, it doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> you know that? It's like, I, is it just me, or it's, it's, it's that, I have this whole thing about that thing. That said, you're, now you're working with the NBA and you're mm-hmm. watching young players. Mm-hmm. Who's somebody, again, we're, by the way, we're sort of in the same place now with Golden, throw, go, throw Golden State into it. We're, right. not, we're not far off. We just right, add, right. We're going to add Golden State into the mix. Who's someone, the more you see him, the more impressed you are with him? Uh, somebody. You know, we did a show today and we talked about Steph Curry. You know, we was talking about some of the shots he was making against Clippers the other night. And, you know, he, he's one guy, when I, when I watch this guy shoot, you know, he steps across half court, takes a couple more dribbles, and he's in range. And, you know, I sit there the other night and watch him, and I just shake my head. You know, I mean, he, he is very impressive as a basketball player. Um, but he reminds me a lot in, 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 in only this fashion, that, you know, you, you look at Larry Bird back in the day, not very athletic. No. You know, you wouldn't say Magic Johnson was probably the most athletic guy in the world. You look at Steph Curry, he's not the most athletic guy in the world, but the guy has a unique talent uh, I, I thought Paige Strakovich was one of the best shooters, and I still think so, one of the best shooters I've ever seen. Because I, I had a chance to see him on a day-to-day basis when I was in New Orleans coaching him. And I saw this guy walk on the court and shoot shots and make shots from distances like it was no big deal. Steph Curry is right there if, if he's not better as a shooter. He might be the, the best shooter I've ever seen. And so watching him play, uh, the times I've watched him, he, he's one of these guys that I would pay to go see play. Because I think you're going to get a show, you yeah. know, and, and he's going to do it uh, with the type of passion that we talked about. And he has fun. He loves to play. And he loves to to put on a show. And I and I think it's beautiful when you're watching this guy shoot the basketball. Welcome to play it. A 
new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You're listening to Ipso Facto with Robert Wool. Talking here with Byron Scott on Ipso Facto. Uh, we're having all this influx of foreign players now. Mm-hmm. And they're good. Very. And they come, most of them, I can't, I got to take each one individually, but be, at least the European players, I don't when they come into the NBA, to me, they come in with a different work ethic or a different, I shouldn't say that everybody, but there is a difference in attitude mm-hmm. than a lot of the American players coming out of one and done in colleges and whatever it is. Absolutely. You know, and I think it's, they come with, a, it, it's just a different attitude. You know, I watch somebody like Porzingis, uh, who's a good young player. Mm-hmm. He's a very good young player. Uh, and I watch, but I see a lot of these guys, you know, I mean, do you see it in the game? I do. I, you know, I played overseas one year, and I know why. I mean, those guys practice twice a day. You know, they get up in the morning, they come in from from 9 to 11. Uh, it's all skill work, and it doesn't matter if you're 7 foot or, or 6 feet. You're doing the same things, you know, off the dribble, uh, ball handling, you know, catch and shoot, all skill work. Then they come back that night, and they do practice, and then they, practice, then they scrimmage. You know, so seeing these guys come in now, in uh, play. I said this to somebody the other day. I said most of the foreign guys that come in and play in the NBA right now, this is uh, like club med. You know, they, they only have to practice once a day and it's for a couple of hours and they get paid more money. You know, so this is easy to them, you know, to be able to come over here and get away from, you know, uh, the teams that they were involved with in Europe that demand so much more and pay so much less. You know, that's why they come over here and I think they, they don't take it for granted. Yeah, you know, like we do as Americans. A lot of us, yes. you know, like you said, you know, they come out of college, uh, they play one year in college, they get to the pros, and first of all, they get to the pros and they expect you to give them everything. Where these guys that come over here, knowing that they have to earn it, so it is a different mentality, and I've seen that firsthand. Also, I think a lot of them think I don't want to disappoint the the people back home too. I think well, I, I think, think that's a little, a little bit of pressure too. Yeah, yeah. About oh yeah. That also, I mean, oh, you're yeah. the guy, and it's not. Yes, you have a school in America, or you have a family here. Don't get me wrong, but there, that's a different thing. Playing over in the other league, I would think there was an immeasurable help uh, playing in Greece. I mean, what what was that like? Was it, it was it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I would think it was, it was just you. a great experience. I would yeah, think. yeah, it really was. We we played twice a week. Uh, you know, I was at that age of thirty six, so coach was like, you don't have to practice. You know, the day after the games. You know, so I got my days off, but. Uh, like I said, watching those young guys over there that I played against, and, and that's where I happened to meet Peja Strakovic because that's where he played at the time, and we played them uh, for the Euro Championship, you know, the team I was with and the team he was with. You know, so I, I saw the development. I saw how they worked. Uh, I saw how they took notes. You know, they, they I mean, the, the, the strength coaches they had there, I mean, he wrote down everything that I did in the weight room, you know, just to, just to keep it and put some of their guys through it. Uh, so I knew when they when they started to have an influx of European players coming over here, they would be successful because I saw it firsthand. Anthony, I was going to ask you: Do you have a question for Byron? I pretty much know everything about Byron. You know, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah, because you know my favorite team of all time are the Showtime Lakers. So you know, uh, he's one of my guys. So you know, it's, uh, you want to ask about Rambus? Well, thank you, Anthony. Rambus? I appreciate that. Yeah. Uh, I know Rambus was tough, you know. I mean, people slept on Rambus, you know. I mean, was Rambus Phil? Well, I mean, because I remember Phil when he was on the on the Knicks, and he was a hatchet man, right? I mean, was Rambus his? Was this his prodigal son here and stuff like that? <laughs> I wouldn't say that. I, you know, Kirk has some skills that we just didn't have to utilize. I mean, role player. 
He was a role player. Right. Just like, yeah, I mean, we had a lot of role players. And sure. guys accepted their roles for the betterment of the team. Right. You know, so you have a lot of guys from an individual standpoint that give up you know, some of that individual glory for the betterment of the team, and then they end up getting championships. So it all yeah. kind of works out. You know, and Kirk was one of those guys that uh, one, of our, one of the best defenders. He was a rugged, tough, right. physical uh, player out there took the ball out of bounds, got it to Magic quicker than anybody in the league, so we can get out, you know, get up and down the floor for our fast break. And a lot of people take that for granted. You know, that ball never hit the never hit the floor right. when the opposite team made a shot. He would have it out the net, step out of bounds, get it to Magic, and we were gone. So you couldn't. Uh, you know, a lot of these guys, when they make a dunk and they're back there celebrating, you couldn't do that back then on us. We would have to lay up on the other end. Right, sure. You know, you had to make your shot and get back on defense right away. You know, so Kirk was vital to what we did as far as, you know, the, the fast break and showtime uh, basketball was concerned because he was an integral part of getting that ball out of bound to the best point guard in the history of the game. Who was um, uh, who, who was the uh, toughest guy for you to uh, defend against? Who was the toughest? Oh, that's easy. Michael Jordan. Oh, yeah, okay. oh, him. <laughs> yeah. I, I I was in the era where he came. You know, my second year I think was his first year, so I got a chance. You know, for ten, twelve years to play against Michael twice a year, and he was he was a problem. You know, I mean, you you have to try to just say, listen, he's gonna get his. You know, let's just make it as tough as possible on him. And he was such a smart basketball player that trying to deny him all over the floor was a problem because he was great at backdoor cutting and he was great at finishing. His only weakness when he first came in the league was his jump shot. You know, so everybody tried to make him shoot jump shots. And then obviously, uh, as he got more experience and worked on that more and more, then he had no weaknesses. When he first, first time you got to cover, the first time you covered him, right? Now, mm-hmm. I don't know how many games into the season it was. Uh, how many games it was into the season. Uh, and, he, you know, it's like he's a rookie. Right. You know, so I'm going to take the rookie to school. Right. What was it like? What do you remember that night? I didn't necessarily think of that way. I, I I know at that time he was averaging 24, 25 points as a rookie. You know, so watching him on tape, I was like, this guy is gifted. Okay. You know, and, and like I said, my game plan at that time was to just stay in front of him. You know, back off, make him shoot jump shots, contest everyone, and you hope that he's missing that night. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the bottom line. Let's see if he's if he if he's on. We got to change it. But if he's missing, if I can just challenge every shot and he's right. missing, then we're in good shape. Conversely. Who was the toughest guy guarding you? Who didn't you want to see on you? Uh, for me, Rolando Blackman. You know, he, he was just unconventional in the way that he guarded me. You know, so uh, I played against him my freshman year when he was at Kansas State. And he was such a competitor. You know, great guy. I mean, tremendous person, but such a competitor on the basketball court. So, uh, I, I, you know, really had some problems when he did guard me just trying to figure out how he was guarding me and how to get open it took me took me a little while to figure that out but having the chance to play against Dallas so many times you know over the years it was almost four times a year and then in the playoffs you know you know you 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 start to figure it out but he was a guy that was very competitive and I love I love competing against him uh you know you talk about the Celtics and you mentioned Bird not being very athletic uh, I remember the Celtics. I mean, that was. I mean, that whole time was so great because it was you and the Celtics. Yeah. I mean, that's what it was. That it was okay. Mm-hmm. It was like the Yankees and the Dodgers used to be back in the old right, days. It's right. like nothing to matter with that. But people say Bird. They forget McHale. They talk about Parrish. I mean, there's a guy I always thought was. I saw him play against my college mm-hmm. when he went to Centenary. Of course, mm-hmm. I'm going back a ways now. Mm-hmm. But Robert Parrish, I saw him in college, and people forget how great this guy was. And would they have JoJo White back then too, or is that later? No, they I think had, that was uh, earlier. They, yeah, yeah they JoJo had, was before. Who's the guy that. who died? 
Uh, they had Reggie Lewis. Yeah, I think it was who Reggie was Lewis. Day, uh, who died? It was Rashad on, Lewis. Something like I, I can't remember. The guard who died on uh, on the on the Celtics? Remember? They, he, well, Lim Bias died before. No, that, that was, was after draft. the draft. Yeah, that he died before he got no, there. No, but he was uh, he was. Uh, it was Lewis. I know it was, it was Lewis. I can't remember his Scott, Reggie. His Reggie, Lewis. yeah, Rashad yeah. Lewis. That's right. Yeah, Reggie Lewis, who died. Um, great player, you know, great player, and and. Uh, you know, one of those guys that was obviously up and coming. But yeah. when, you, when you talk about the Celtics and you talk about Bird, Parrish, and McHale, you talk about one of the best front lines ever. Ever. To play. And, and it's unbelievable that Golden State gave away Robert Parrish to Boston. You know, I mean, that's how good he was. They just, you know, I, I guess they didn't know how good he was because they just gave him away. And they kept a guy named Joe Barry Carroll who didn't turn out to be as good as they – I guess thought was going to be, and he traded for McHale too. I mean, this is Bauerback. Yeah. This is still Bauerback, yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. What do you what, what, what do you remember of Bauerback? What do you remember of him? Just a cigar, yeah. Just just walking on, you know, just walking on the court with his cigar, you know. After games, uh, I didn't see him too often when we played. It was, you know, obviously real early in my career, uh, but as as we played them even more so in, in championship games, you didn't see him as often, you know. So, uh, but I remember all of the the Celtic games when they had a Hamlet check and. Cowens and, yeah. and Nelson and all these Judge games. I Jordan, remember yeah. watching those games yeah. and, and Bill Russell and all those games and watching Red a lot. Did you, uh, how, uh, what was it like going to play in the Boston Gardens? You hate it there or what? I hated the floor. Yeah, everybody You know, because it. it just had dead spots everywhere, you know, and then they had lights, you know, coming right in your face when you were in the corner. Uh, I didn't mind the atmosphere. I thought it was great that you played in front of a hostile uh, crowd because. As a competitor in our team, we all love leaving the arena, you know, winning and having everybody shut up. <laughs> that was we we wanted to you know go into arenas and make everybody be real quiet when the game was over. You know, that was that was something that we enjoyed doing. One last question: Have you ever thought about coaching college? I have, I have. You know, I mean, this year probably uh, about a month ago. You know, you know, you start getting that itch again mm-hmm. to coach. You know, because that's what you love to do is teach. And uh, I'm kind of, you know, I'm not saying I'm through with the NBA or anything like that, but I'm, I'm, I'm kind of a little um, taken back. I should yeah, say, no, I get you know, it. from and the NBA totally and some understand. of the way that you know some of the things that happen. Um, so I started thinking about the collegiate level, and I think it would be great. I think I would enjoy it. Uh, gives you a chance to really teach these guys before they get to that level, because. I'm telling you, over the last five years of coaching, I've had a lot of guys who've been one and done that's come to the NBA that still don't understand how to play the game of basketball. Oh, I'm sure. I mean, they have no clue. And it's, you know, sometimes I'm going through drills and I'm telling guys, you should have learned this in high school. You know, so, I mean, that's one of the reasons that I was thinking about the collegiate level because I, I think I could really affect some of these young guys and at least get them a little bit more prepared, you know, when they do get an opportunity to go to the pros. That's if you get a really good school. I mean, more True. often than not, you know, you're gonna, you know, your first first or second job is not going to be Kentucky. It's not going to be North Carolina well, or Duke. You, yeah, if you're looking at those jobs, you're talking about you're going to you still run into their problem of one and done. Well, I'm so saying, a lot of them not going to be. You're not going to get, but you're yeah, not getting so those I, guys. So I don't necessarily look at that, yeah. that those type of situations. I mean, you know, you're I'm, I want at somewhere Long Beach I can, State, the University of California, well, Santa Barbara, yeah, which, is good, which is which fine. is still good schools. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but somewhere where you can have some of these guys for two or three years, yeah, uh, and really, you know, not only teach them how to play basketball, but teach them how to be men when they're. Well, see, there's a difference. You know, when I talk to Worthy, I used to I talked to James, and I said, James. Tell me about Dean Smith. 
because I hear these stories about Smith, like you hear about Woody. Right, right. And, I'd say, and he said, he, then we never talked everything about basketball, really. We never really talked much about basketball, winning. We mm-hmm. talked about the mm-hmm. process. We talked about, and he goes, because you know, that's the difference with a college coach. You know, there's certain, I have no doubt that certain coaches would fail miserably in the pros. Yeah, oh yeah. And, and vice versa. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And vice versa. It's a, different, it's, a, it's a different thing, but it's what you're talking about. And, yeah. and you have to have a school that's really going to be behind you. You know, it's funny. You know, people forget back back in the day, John Wooden was at UCLA for ten years before he won a national championship. Right. right. What are the odds of that happening right. today? Zero. That, 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 yeah, I was about to say that's not going to happen now. Yeah. Yeah. Especially if you're a school to expect to win a championship. Yeah. If you, if you do, you're not going to have a coach there ten years without uh, winning. Tubby one. Smith at uh, at Kentucky, right? right? I mean, right. won a national championship. Was it two, three years later? He's out. Right. You know, that's that, you know, but if you're a school, if it's a school thing and you have somebody in your corner that really believes in you and we, and you got to make the the pledge to stay there, it's tough. Yeah. No, it is. Well, coaching's tough, period, anyway. Anyway, uh, Byron, hope you had a good time. I did. Times are up. Robert, always good to talk to you. You know that. You too. You too. It was a lot of fun. Uh, My guest today has been uh, Byron Scott, uh, former NBA coach, now on the, what are you on, Sports Center? I'm on ESPN. ESPN. The the Jump. The Jump. And, uh, you know, it was just a great and a good pal. Thank you very much. Uh, This is Ipso Facto. I'm Robert Wall.